Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello once again, everybody. Welcome back to Grace to All with Paul Gray. And as we mentioned last time, uh, this is the second of a two-part interview with Ron Wright. And I know you all just loved hearing him last week. I've enjoyed so much getting to know him, and I enjoy reading what he posts so much. Well, let me just say welcome, Ron, and I'll let you say hi before I go on. (laughs) Thank you very much, Paul. It's great to be here with your listeners as well. God bless. Thank you. Several years ago, I started reading your post on Facebook. I don't know how I found out about him. And we have a Sunday night group, part of our church here in Lawrence. And they're usually somewhere around a dozen of us. I used to teach through different books, Baxter Kruger's books, different ones and things. Right. And then I kind of got off of that and I got to where I would take things that I read on Facebook. I would copy them. I'd put together two or three pages of them. I'd take them to the group. I uh, have copies for everybody. And we would just read them and talk about them. And we've been doing that now for several years. And most every week, I have something that you've written and people are just always like, wow, wow, wow. (laughs) And uh, so for those who haven't read your work yet, I ask you in advance if you'd be willing to read something that you wrote recently. So what are you going to read? Yeah, sure. Um, So this is my latest thing I put up on my Facebook blog. It's just called Soul Wind. It's kind of my pen name. This article that I wrote is called uh, Return to Center. So we live mostly on the circumference of life. Very few know how to touch, let alone live, by their center. In a sense, it's no one's fault. Our culture is religiously driven, even obsessed with life on the outside. There seems to be more going on at the edges of our desires, wants, and needs, and ambitions than at the center of our being. That inner core of our truest self, for the most part, remains an unknown mystery to most. And the world takes advantage of our uncenteredness and freely exploits our obsession with living life on the edges. The truth is that we just never find ourselves or God living on the edges of our life. There's nothing deep on the edges of life. Deep things are hidden. Ocean depths, the roots of trees, our true self, All of these things are hidden deep within centers. Until we get off the consumer treadmills so fascinated with life on the edges and return to life within the center, we can never experience the growth of consciousness so needed to mature and awaken our world from its delusions. The fruit on a tree looks delicious. The leaves are interesting. But where would either of these attractions be without the invisible core of that tree that holds the flow of life-giving sap silently nurturing the whole. Where circumstances may be interesting and circumferences may be interesting, centers are life-giving. What we need to relearn is that it is our center that carries us, sustains us, and nurtures us. Our center, the core of our being, is our deep self, our true self, 
where what we are merges out into God himself. God is the center of our being, and he's the center of everything. The center of our body is our soul. The center of our soul is our spirit, and the center of our spirit is God. With each center, we go deeper into, and we include the latter, yet move beyond it. With each new depth, we become more real, more whole, and more integrated. Spiritual growth can be defined as a movement to deeper and deeper centers until we abide in the one center that includes every other center. We don't look outside of ourselves to find some far-off hidden God, but as the mystics tell us, we go inside, past our thoughts, past our feelings, past our concepts, until we rest past our individual personality and into the center of God as our life. Spirituality is learning how to touch our deep centers, how to be there, attend it, listen to it, walk in it, drink and dine with it, and come to deeper and longer communication with it. When you discover you are a soul and not just a temporary consciousness trapped in a bag of skin, this is a tremendous awakening. When you learn that you are an infinite eternal spirit, not just a personal soul, this too is a great awakening. But when you realize that you are one with the great perfection that expresses all these points of awareness as one body of truth, this is where your final emancipation comes from. Here you fall into the center of every other center who is God. If we're ever going to stabilize our world as it wobbles on these edges of our extinction, we need an energetic return to the center of our core. When we can learn to touch our center first in all the matters of life and living, this alone will give us the wisdom for transforming our edges. Nurturing our center navigates our edges. Our first duty every day in all situations is to touch the grace, the generosity, and the perfection of our interiority, where God's spirit is gloriously enthroned and enmeshed in our spirit. When there are decisions to make, touch your center. When there are responses to give, touch your center. Where there are actions to take, touch your center. Bathe your heart and your mind there with the intuition, communion, and conscience of your spirit. This is your stability in the motions of life. It's here in your center that grace and wisdom will flow to reach you. As life in the eye of a hurricane is calm, and as it is the center of celestial bodies that exert an attracting force, so the center of our being is the place of a great calm and a great power. A centered life becomes an unfettered life where we undo the empty way of life handed down to us from our predecessors. The way of our center is the way we have to wake up, to grow up, and to clean up. It also just happens to be the place where we find God and ourselves in face-to-face -face communion. So that's about our center. Wow. And when we get down in there and we dig down into the deepest part of what makes us us, we find God's face there shining. That's beautiful, like the picture on the wall behind you. About two-thirds of the way through that, and I read that this morning, you used the phrase spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. It so resonates with me because it's so different than what I was taught spiritual growth was. Right, right. I was taught it was mastering spiritual disciplines. And if you can memorize enough scripture and if you, know, if you can uh, give enough and th these things, then, <laughs> then you're growing and you're a mature Christian. Right, right. <laughs> and, I think that's the, the typical presentation of growth, right, that we often hear. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's because we don't know. Right. We just don't know. You know, when we're at that point and we're 
I was, and, and a lot of religion is, well-meaning, just misinformed, just haven't had the experience, don't know. And so we have a heart for God. You know, yeah. we want to please God. We want to be a good person, but literally we don't know. Yeah. And a lot of times we think that these disciplines help us reconnect. And the truth of the matter is life and God is defined as life. I mean, there's three things in the Bible that God's defined as light, life, and love. Life doesn't need to be disciplined. It elegantly handles things with more than enough power. You look at the way leaves grow on trees, the way flowers bloom in the springtime. There's no struggle. There's no discipline. The flower doesn't have to wake up in the morning and think of 20 disciplines to do in order to bloom. It just responds to the sun. Yeah. It just responds to the nurturing rain that falls, right? Yeah. And so the life of God in our spirit is just like that. It carries the grace to manifest its riches. And in the riches is the fullness, which is what the human heart is looking for, is the fullness of God. Yeah. When you write these things, does it just flow? Do you have to really concentrate and come up and turn a phrase? No. The one thing I often hear is, Ron, I love what you have to say, but it's so long. There's so much. And the truth is, it just it flows that way. I actually have to find the off and the stop button more so than the on button, because I find in those moments of just sitting quietly, uh, this kind of flow of uh, communion happens in my spirit. And my writing is essentially just writing out what I'm sensing inside myself. That's what I thought you would probably say. <laughs> do you do videos reading your work? No, but I've had a lot of people uh, make that request. And so two of my... <laughs> Here's another request. My, uh, new, yeah. <laughs> new, new Year's uh, resolutions here. One is to get my book finished, which I've been working on for about a year. And the other one is to do some sort of a short podcast or get online. Yeah. I've had a lot of requests for that. So. Oh, I bet you have. Tell us back to where the rubber hits the road. I mean, you, you've had, yeah. you've had obviously a wonderful, supernatural, mystical experience with God that wasn't just a one time thing that's continued no. all your life and it continues yeah. in your life. And as you sit down and write what's from your heart that flows from the Holy Spirit, you're still in that mystical flow. Now, tell us, just give us some specific examples, particularly in, in your work, which I'm fascinated with, in providing affordable housing for people who can't afford housing. Yeah. A part of a mystical life with your feet on the road, so to speak, is that there's a, a genuine compassion that flows out for people. And one of the things in the company that I work with is we're all about people to listen to their stories, to find out where their hurts are, to find out where the issues are in their life. A lot of times, these people who don't come into life with a lot of the privileges that we have. And so right off the bat, they are stuck in life. A lot of times, what we've noticed is that if you will sit down and talk with them and listen to them, listen to their concerns and their struggles and the issues, a lot of the times they find within themselves the motivation to turn their life around, to get help, to, to get educated, to do whatever it takes to get out of the hole that they feel that their life is in, you know. So love as a way of doing that. Yeah, they're listening to somebody who cares. Yeah. And one thing I always say about genuine mysticism, I say, it turns you into a compassionate person. There's no other way. If you're touching the true mystical realm of the human heart, it turns you into a lover. A lover of God, a lover of people, a lover of things in life. So I think this journey into mysticism 
it had one of the unexpected results in my life was this opening of heart to compassion. And it's something that has gone very deep in my life. And it literally has changed my life because now it's not just God as a teacher or a holy book, but every human life has become my teacher. You know, when you sit and listen to the stories, you listen, you start to hear the echoes of God's love reaching into people's lives who you would thought are far beyond it, but they're not. And as you dialogue with them, you hear the same desires for love and compassion. Every human life has become your teacher. Wow. Yeah. What a phrase. And if we really get to that place, right, where there is no separation, that all things are one generosity of God, then everything becomes a part of his communication with us. Uh, The problem is never that God isn't speaking. It's just that we have grown very dull of hearing, and we have to find more and more ways to hear. Yeah, I found it to be so true. You know, that happened to me when I was young. He speaks all the time. and uh, <laughs> He does. Yeah, he does. I, I can't imagine him not speaking. I want to be careful when I say that because I know some people really have trouble hearing. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be the biggest part of my ministry. It's to help people hear from God themselves. Hear from God. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't yeah, want to hear from me as a preacher or a teacher. I may hopefully have some good things to say and help them along the way. You do. Yeah, thanks. My goal is to get people to hear from God themselves. And, oh, man, when they start doing that, (laughs) it's just— Yeah, right? Yeah, they become the teacher. I I guess the true work of a teacher is to help every other person find a teacher within them, right? Yeah. We we work ourselves out of a job. We work ourselves out of a job by letting them find a teacher within, because we all do. We all have an inner communion and conscience and intuition. That is God's voice. And it really is as simple as tuning in to your deepest center and having the trust that what you're hearing there is actually the echo of God's voice, you know? Uh, Yeah, that's so true. With your affordable housing situation, obviously someone, some organization, some group of people, some entity is providing housing at a less than market value and maybe even helping people come up with the means to pay for that. So how does that happen? Who is that group? Here in Canada, we have federal co-ops, places that uh, grant people geared to income rent. So someone who may have a very small income, they may only pay $100, $200 for rent, something like that. So we have both federally and provincially co-ops where people can get housing at very, very low rate. So what we do as a housing organization is we help connect those people on the streets who don't have homes to the housing provider in the local city and they get on a list and we help them then to find homes. So I manage uh, part of a team that manages properties and those properties provide gear to income assistance for low income families. They're just basic homes, but what it does is it gets people off the streets away from the vulnerabilities and risks that are there with living on the street, Mm -hmm. get them in a home because at the end of the day, if everybody can come home to safe, comfortable home, your life is going to be a lot better. Your chances in life are going to be a lot. So that's what we do. So have you had the opportunity to continue relationships with people who you've helped get into homes and see how it's affected their life? Oh, yes, for sure. In fact, we have this one young girl who was in, when I first started this job, I was sitting in an office at one of these properties helping people get in there. And this one young girl who um, 
was kicked out by her parents. She got pregnant, was kicked out on the streets, and she got into social housing. We got her a place. She now works for our company. She actually we provided some education for her to be able to uh, learn how to work in an office, and she's now part of our employee staff. Wow. And uh, so here's somebody who's on the streets, got into social housing. We got a safe, affordable housing for her provided her a job opportunity and now her with her two small kids she's able to provide for herself so and I'm so proud of her because you know she said to me you know Ron my goal here is to get off the system I don't want assistance anymore I want to earn enough money for me and my kids that I can you know live my life this way and provide for them that's a tremendous thing those are the kind of stories that I live for it's why I do this work sort of sounds like the Acts 2 church Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think you mentioned earlier before we started recording, what's the waiting time for people to get into housing? It's terrible. Here in the city that I live in, in London, Ontario, it's an eight-year wait list. So that means if you are a person without housing and you go to the city and get on the wait list, it could be up to eight years before a spot comes available for you to get into social housing. We're desperately trying to change that and we're doing everything and the government is doing what they can to direct money again into this area to develop some new projects. And we're really hoping that happens because the need is quite enormous. And then if you go uh, north of us to Toronto, the need is even more tremendous there. Wow. Well, what an exciting opportunity you have every day to go to work and help people and see their lives changed. Yeah, at the end of the day, I feel pretty good going to bed knowing I've helped other people out and who are in less fortunate conditions. Now, your book that you're going to publish, your goal is to get it done this year. This year, yeah. And it's taking things that you've written, that you've posted, blogged about, putting them into yeah. a book form? Yeah, essentially, it'll be a daily devotional, putting together a lot of my writings. So that'll be the, the first project. I've got a couple of projects on the go, but we'll get there first. We'll get this one out first. I know you'll post and tell us when it's available, but I want to know. Absolutely. In closing, you've talked about being an ontological mystic, mysticism. My original background, what I did for the first 20 years of my life was I was a jazz musician. And I love the old story of Louis Armstrong. He was actually an official ambassador for the United States of jazz to other countries. Right. And one time he was in a country somewhere where they didn't know anything about jazz. They'd never heard it. But it, it, the government hyped the thing. And when he got off the plane, <laughs> there was a press corps there. And, and one of the local people, members of the press said, well, Mr. Armstrong, can you tell us what jazz is? And he said, no, if you got to ask, I can't tell you. And I sort of feel that way about being a mystic. But in your words, how would you explain, how would you tell somebody what a mystic is and why they should want to be a mystic? So mysticism is a way uh, of experiencing God directly. So the theologian knows God through his theology, through the concepts and ideas Somebody else might get to know God through the rituals that their religion or church presents to them. A mystic is someone who experiences God ontologically. So ontology is the study of being, the essence of our being. And a mystic is someone who encounters God within their own being, their intuition, their conscience, with communion. So it's a direct experience. So the, the mystic understands God first and foremost through the heart, uh, through a direct encounter of love with God. And then that experience educates the mind and directs the life. So that essentially is what a mystic is. Is that an experience that can be 
learned? Yeah. So uh, what I personally believe is that every person at the core of their being has a spirit that is an expression of God. There is no separation there. If you go into deeper and deeper layers of our being, you finally get to the place where it falls out into God's being, and there's no distinction any longer between self and God. There is just one union. And in that experience, it's genuine and it's honest. And all we need to do is to learn how to focus on that, to turn our awareness on those deep centers of who and what we are, and we'll find a richness of God speaking to us there. It is a relearning situation. We have to learn the language of the heart, learn the language of our being. We're so educated in our mind, it's hard for us to approach God without concepts. But the idea in mysticism is to experience God not through concepts, but direct experience of our being. And that's the most beautiful language of all time. Of all time. And it's a language everyone knows in every nationality and race on the planet. We all share the same spirit in, in God. Oh, man, we do. Ron, this has just been wonderful getting to know your heart personally and hearing about what you're doing and visiting with you. And I hope we can get together, not just uh, over the Internet, but uh, I'm not excited about coming to Canada where it's cold. But, uh, <laughs> Maybe I'll come down there. Maybe I'll come down there to the warm climate. Yeah, we well, had a vacation in Greece, right, last year. Yeah, it was a little warmer there. Yeah, I- a little, quite a bit warmer there. <laughs> I didn't want to come yeah, back. I enjoyed your pictures from that. So, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Please continue your writing and uh, sharing your heart with us. And people, thanks to the internet, are being blessed all over the world by you. And and we all appreciate you so very much. Thank you so much, Paul, and thank you so much. You have a wonderful spirit. I enjoy so much your podcast, and I enjoy everything that you're doing. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for listening to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.